Dear friends, welcome. Uh, We're happy to welcome you at the Creative Society Global Talk on Education, the series of live conversations on Alatra TV. Today we are communicating with a very interesting person and I'm hurrying to introduce him to our audience. Today our guest is Professor Michael Fullen, author, speaker, educational consultant. Professor Michael Fullen is a worldwide expert in whole system change in education and the global leadership director, New Pedagogies for Deep Learning. Professor Fullen is a, former, uh, is a former dean of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education of the University of Toronto. Also, Professor Fullen advises policymakers and local leaders around the world to provide leadership in education. Professor Fullen, warm welcome on Alatra TV. Thank you, glad to talk to you. Thank you. For those who have just joined us and watching us for the first time, just a few words about International Public Movement Alatra. International Public Movement Alatra is an association of active, honest, and friendly people around the world who inspire to use their best qualities for the benefit of the whole society. This is 100% a volunteering movement, and this is the new format of relationship between people, uh, regardless of nationalities, religious, political views, and social background. Welcome everyone again, and we begin. Uh, Professor Fulan, let me ask you the first question. Uh, since our project is called the Creative Society, let me ask you at once, how do you personally envision the society where you, your loved ones, and all other people in the world would live comfortably and happily? Describe it for us, please. Well, in, in a very direct way, we've been working on this uh, in our deep learning uh, project initiative for the last six years. And uh, I, I want to make one distinction first, is that uh, there's, a I think, a big difference between imagining what the society would look like and then making it happen, uh, you know, creating the actual work on the ground. So we do both of those. That is, we do imagine it and we try to make it work on the ground. And the core, uh, what, I, what I imagine is students, uh, young people especially, uh, learning how to be this way uh, as through their uh, better education. And right now, most education is, uh, I would say, stuck. If we look at all the countries, uh, even the high performing ones like South Korea and Singapore are questioning whether there's too much emphasis and stress on the wrong things. Uh, so the academic things, not the life things that your society is trying to get at. And, and so our core is uh, uh, thriving in a complex world. Those are the words we use. It's, uh, it's uh, engage the world, change the world. These are themes that we have developed with students and teachers in 10 countries now. I don't mean the whole country, but pockets of schools in every country. To me, be more specific, uh, the core part of our work is called global competencies, and they're the six C's, uh, character, citizenship, collaboration, communication, uh, creativity, and critical thinking. So we built uh, uh, ideas and uh, teaching practices and ways of assessing those, and uh, we want, uh, we want students who will engage the world in order to make the world better and learn about it. And that's our image of it. Fantastic, thank you very much for your answer. Uh, you mentioned in the answer that um, 
the world education is everyone facing a lot of difficulties. From your point of view as an expert, what is the most challenging challenge today in the world system of education and in Canada, please? Well, in one, one odd way to put it, I, guess, I, th I think I want to say is the most challenging thing is to make learning interesting for our young people. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, the evidence is very clear that we, if we take uh, any group of 16-year-olds, students that are in, uh, let's say, year uh, 10, 11 of the school, uh, and I know the evidence on this, uh, the evidence from the US, from England, from uh, Australia, and other countries is that uh, the majority of these students, and I do mean the majority, probably two thirds, do not find education having great meaning in their lives. They still may want to do it in order to go to university, but they don't find the purpose. The, the, what the your society is trying to get at is a very strong, what we would call moral purpose, but a, a, a set of values. They don't find that in the current curriculum. So the biggest problem is to change the uh, learning, which is what we're doing, the goals, the pedagogy, the experiences that students have, the actual work that they do of learning. And it can easily be around creativity and move out to other things, but it's not right now. It's not for the most majority. So biggest problem is existing system is uh, needs to be changed. And there are a lot of barriers to that change. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And um, I would like to ask right away, uh, from your point of view, what made today's system of education is, let's say, uninteresting or boring? How did we come up to this? And how to well, make I think it the interesting? Yeah, I think the tradition is um, of expansion. I don't know if we go 1800s and beyond, uh, 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 and pe people have described it this way, it was built on the Prussian uh, kind of uh, uh, factory model of producing citizens and the uh, US when it started was to produce citizens who could uh, work in factories and work on the development of, of uh, the economy. And so there is a kind of a factory model of producing citizens who could do work, not who were creative, but who could actually uh, that all through the industrial revolution and uh, and, uh, and even when it got better, it still had this uh, uh, legacy of uh, focusing on producing workers for society compared to producing citizens that will make society better. They did not do the latter. So because we have a system that's well established, it's very well, um, I guess, protected into the traditions and changing those traditions is the big difficulty. Mm -hmm. So we've come up to the point, uh, let me like make a little conclusion, please correct me if I'm wrong, so I could make it for our viewers. So we've come up to the point when the whole system of education should be evolutionary changed from what we've had before, because uh, today's system was based on, let's say, uh, technical, economical or industrial revolution. But right now we're on the point when the whole system should be changed and we are coming to the point when the central person is the human, first of all, but the human with human and moral values on the ground. Am I correct? That's a good summary. Uh, it is because the, uh, the humanity of learning 
was never well established at the beginning. It was more instrumental, produce uh, 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 people for factories, produce it for, for society. And then uh, in the last, um, let's say, 20 years, there's more criticism of the alternative, uh, about the alternative, which is really what we're talking about the, today. And that, that uh, advice is to shift from the technical assumptions of education to the human foundation of education. And that is a big change for people. I think a lot of people are interested in it. And uh, I, uh, if I could express it another way, there's an expression in the research tradition, uh, I hope it translates well, but it's called uh, the grammar of schooling. So that there, these researchers uh, 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 who studied this said the grammar of schooling, which is uh, getting students in classes and having them do the same uh, uh, curriculum and having them do exams and all of that is what they describe as the traditional grammar of schooling. So they say, how do you change that grammar uh, so that students are more partners of learning, even parents are more involved? We have in our model a lot of examples of what this looks like. That's the change that we're in the midst of. And I think uh, uh, the best way to describe it is it's moving from the, the, the technical notion of producing uh, citizens who will serve society to the more uh, spiritual human notion of producing humans that will make each other and society better. So we need to educate human beings with high moral and uh, spiritual values rather than workers. That's right. And I'm, I'm just actually writing about artificial intelligence. And, uh, uh, and um, if you... Um, you could just you could look at the uh, relationship between human intelligence and machine mm -hmm. intelligence. Artificial intelligence is a uh, is strong machine intelligence, and it's a very uh, interesting story because the uh, the machine intelligence, artificial intelligence included, is very strong and powerful, but it's not it's it's not run with human intention uh, so much, and so the. The, uh, the learner can easily get uh, under the control of the machine in a way that's not desirable. So, but I think it does make it more likely to confront that problem. That is today in 2020, we are more likely to be aware of the problem than we were 50 years ago. Where were we just doing it, but not being very much aware of the underpinnings of it, the way we're talking about it now. Got it. Professor Fulham, let me ask you the next question. Uh, please share with us. Uh, how important is it in today's school and, of course, in the system of education to raise and educate uh, the questions of humanity, morality, spiritual values, and how is it working in the schools of Canada? Well, it's, it's, it's essential. Uh, I mean, we, the last book I did is called uh, The Devil is in the Details, uh, mm -hmm. so a very provocative title but it's, it's, a, it's about equity, excellence, and well-being. And it shows that chapter one is a description of how, uh, the, how the system is working in the old way, but is not very moving very much to the new way, which we're talking about. So uh, it's really critical to do this because it's so important. Uh, one can even say that the future of society, civilization, is at stake now in that chapter we did at the beginning of that book. It shows very clearly with, uh, with uh, uh, climate uh, uh, changes, with great inequality between those that have money and those that don't have money. 
uh, disease and uh, low uh, measures of trust in society, for example, over the last 20 years, high tr higher trust, lower, lower, lower. People in society saying, I don't trust my society. I don't trust the government. So it's going down. Mistrust is going up and trust is going down. So all the signs are this is uh, we're losing ground and we're losing it rapidly because it's built into this uh, climatological, uh, I don't know, uh, engine that can't be stopped easily. So I think that we've left it very late, that the people who analyze this work say that uh, that society could, uh, there could be human distinction within the next 50 years or even 30 years, a great reduction. There has been waves of that in the past uh, uh, 10,000 years, uh, as you probably know. So we're, uh, we're at a period right now where it's dangerous. And this is, uh, aside from the fact that these other values that you talk about are so important, they're also necessary. Because if we don't get them, we will lose. I see. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Professor Fulham, let me ask you, um, let's uh, like play the situation. You have a chance right now to create the rightish society. You are, for example, taking some kind of very important position in the government or the most top position in the government, and you do have a chance to create the righteous society. What aspects would you begin with? Well, I'd say it this way, that we know uh, the aspects to work on. I mean, they're, in our deep learning model, they're spelled out, they're very clear, which is to... Uh, Make sure that the goals of the curriculum include what we call the six C's, your creative society as part of those goals. So as a policymaker, and I'm in charge of it, I'm going to say these are the goals that we need to uh, pursue. Uh, uh, then we need also to know what, how, how would one uh, not just say those goals are important, but how would you give uh, students experiences in learning how to be like that, which is the pedagogy and the assessment, the learning part. And how would you uh, develop that? So as a leader, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, because uh, we already are proposing it, what it looks like. And we have some uh, uh, leaders who are interested in that change. Uh, but then the big issue becomes the politics of implementation. Uh, politics of implementation, who's in favor of it, who's not in favor of it, where do you get the resources? And, uh, uh, you know, if I'm a leader, uh, and people uh, or some important uh, political interests don't like what I'm doing, they'll try to unseat me, change me so, uh, for something else. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a moral issue, uh, as you're describing it, in terms of the goals. It's a, uh, a learning issue. How do you get this happening? And, it, uh, and it's also a political issue of power. I see. Uh, Professor Fulun, I'd like to uh, tell you right now a little bit more about the Creative uh, Society project, how it came up, how it was created. And okay. I would like uh, to talk a little bit more about eight foundations of the Creative Society. I will tell you briefly how we came up with eight foundations. Um, this project was created uh, around three years ago, and during the last three years we've been conducting interviews all over the world uh, we're communicating with people in the streets, in, you know, in, in the offices, like, just like you and me were communicating right now. And I'm not 
exaggerating, but for the last three years, we've communicated with more than 10 million people. So we've analyzed their answers and we've came up with these eight foundations. Uh, can I ask right now our technical support, please, to show these eight foundations? Ребята, покажите, пожалуйста, восемь основ. Here they are. Uh, please advise. Uh, so these eight foundations, this is already a demand of the society. So these are the foundations that the whole world community would like to live with. Uh, why I'm so sure about that? Because International Public Movement Alatra is 100% a volunteering movement. We have participants in more than 180 countries around the world in, and in every single city. And like I've mentioned already, for the last three years, we've had over 10 million interviews. And analyzing their answers, we have these eight foundations. Um, from your point of view, as one of the world top experts in the field of education, how can we implement these eight foundations in the school curriculum, in education, and start teaching and educating our students and pupils to these foundations so could later we could live like following mm -hmm. these foundations? Please share with us your opinion as an expert. Well, I think uh, the eight foundations are uh, attractive. They're the right ones for a lot of people would, uh, would value that. And the question is, uh, uh, it's one thing to get you know, millions of people saying, oh, yeah, this is a good thing. It's another thing to say, let's do it. And so I think just imagine today, if you were trying to do this in the United States, there's a huge division, almost 50-50 massive division of that country where they uh, people on each side are totally different than the other side and totally conflictful. Uh, you can't get anything done there. Uh, so you see what I mean about the implementation problem. You could get a lot of people to agree that the change should happen, but there's really a, uh, I guess I'll put it this way, and you wouldn't be doing these eight themes if you didn't think that we've lost ground on them in the last hundred years. That is, we haven't been gaining, we've been losing in actual implementation. So uh, again, I would say uh, it's important to get to implementation strategies. Uh, you can see in our, our, our main book is called uh, Deep Learning, Engage the World, Change the World, that book. Mm -hmm. You can read that book and it's, it's lots of uh, students, the countries that we're working with, there are examples, video examples of what this looks like. So there's a really strong movement of uh, identifying the uh, new uh, uh, behavior, the new goals in, in action. And so that's underway. And the reason that you need to get something actually happening by way of implementation, there are two reasons. One is to figure out what it looks like to implement it as distinct from advocating the general concept, the details you have to figure out. And the second is to gain more supporters who uh, know that it's better. And we're connected with a lot of people that are working on this agenda. Uh, OECD, Andreas Schleicher, who you know, and the PISA group, they're just not satisfied with measuring literacy and numeracy in science. They want to uh, they want to uh, analyze collaboration and creativity, and they want to make it into the political educational agenda. So I think the... Um, uh, the goal is to keep pushing 
all the buttons, uh, mm -hmm. the, the description of what it looks like, the policies that would go with it, the examples of implementation, the support that you would get at what we call usually think of three levels, the local uh, school and community level, the medium level, which are the municipalities or the uh, school districts, and then the uh, policy level, the state level. So that's how I would go about it. We've got the content, you've got the content, but you need uh, to mobilize into greater specificity of implementation and to get political support and evidence that this is a very good thing to do and more people want to do it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you very much for advice. Uh, so let me like make some conclusions here for our viewers. So um, you've said engage the world, change the world. Uh, can it be, uh, can I say that in order to implement these eight foundations of the creative society in the society, in the school curriculum, we need to be very active, we need to be example of these changes, we need to tell as many people as possible about the advantages of uh, these eight foundations for the society. And the more people will know about it, the more people will support it, then the quicker uh, politicians or local, let's begin with the local authorities and going up to the mm -hmm. most, I right, think, to the top yeah. political levels, they will start implementing that because people are showing their interest in these eight foundations. They are showing their uh, political uh, demand in implementing these foundations in the, into the society as soon as possible. Am I correct? Please add or comment. Yes, uh, that's generally true. So I, I agree with that. I think the most important thing within it is that you get, uh, there's diversity in society, you know that. Uh, and so it's important that you get uh, people from different categories, I guess I'll say, who are now talking and wanting to do this. Uh, to take the obvious one, uh, young people, uh, people we're finding, uh, you know, even eight or 10 year olds talk about civic society very well. So uh, the mobilization of young people, very important. Uh, also the, uh, the adults, clearly the teachers and, uh, and parents and the linkage of the two. And then there's all the issues about diversity, and, uh, uh, racism and ethnicity and that. So, um, my advice is to stay with the, the values they have, your core eight, but to make sure that the discussion is mobilizing the diversity to, um, to actually uh, be willing to link across groups, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, really where the breakthroughs come. Thank you very much for great advice. Thank you, sir. And um, you've mentioned a little bit um, while we were communicating and asking and answering the questions, uh, conflicts. Unfortunately, in the world, we have various types of conflicts, religious conflicts, military conflicts, economic, you know, social, yeah. family, you name it. From your point of view, what is the origin of all conflicts? And please advise how, to, how, the, how can the society get rid of it, please? Uh, well, I think one, um, both origin and manifestation of that is the growing economic inequality in the world. Uh, you probably know the data as well as I do, but you can trace this in the last uh, couple of hundred years, but take any, uh, any period, 
uh, and since, because uh, uh, I know the economics of this, that since 1975, there has been a decline in, um, in reducing inequality of opportunity of money. So it's, uh, uh, again, the figures that uh, the rich get richer and the poor stay here. And even the middle class are dropping towards the poor. They're not going upward. So you get bigger and bigger, bigger uh, chasm of uh, economic and social inequality and political inequality. And so I think that is, uh, that. and, and uh, the other interesting thing to say about this is the greater the inequality, the less um, uh, positive it is for the people who are at the top. Yeah, there's after a while the mistrust is such and the uh, and the people at the top they're vulnerable there are a couple of uh, health demo, uh, demographers uh, wilson and pickett their names are the authors and they've uh, they've studied the uh, uh, factors around all kinds of societies health factors social factors economic factors trust factors etc and they show basically that those societies that have greater equality are healthier they live longer uh, not only there's obviously less conflict, but they're healthier in almost every way. The societies that are extreme, the, the, there's higher uh, uh, death rates of the, of the poor people, but also of the people at the top compared to other people at the top in other countries. So I think this, uh, this distortion of, of, uh, uh, towards greater and greater and greater inequality economically in terms of health and everything is the fundamental problem and part of the... Uh, I've been reading recently some very good books by economists, some of the newer economists, and they really talk about how the policies that are going to be necessary to reshape this in order to have the breakthrough we're talking about. So the breakthrough has the values, the eight values that you have, but it also means restructuring to some extent the economy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to come back to the questions of education, teachers, and the schools. Um, Professor Fulham, please share with us, from your point of view, how important is it to develop um, the culture of self-improvement, both personally and professionally, among pupils and among teachers? Uh, well, it's an essential part of our, our goals, our pedagogy, so I think it's actually uh, critically important and it, it, uh, it requires a, care, a careful understanding uh, so that if we take um, in, in the goals uh, of creativity and self-development and so forth, that the educated student has to have a certain degree of ability to learn autonomously, self-directed learning. So that part is really crucial. And the way that education now is, students sometimes, they learn the content but they don't learn it, they forget it a month later because they're not really developing their own ideas. So I think the self-directed learner is essential, not the learner who receives information and then just feeds it back into an examination that really is a, understands the depth of these eight, 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 eight things. But we are also finding the self-directed learner is very much uh, con uh, committed to... Uh, working with others. So you have to combine self-improvement and collaboration, those two mm -hmm. things together. They're not mutually incom incompatible. Uh, the phrase we use these days is connected autonomy. So autonomy is the self-directedness, but connected 
to other students, to other parts of society. And uh, the research on um, one of our team members is a neuroscientist, a child psychiatrist, uh, Jean Clinton is her name. And the research is very clear that uh, uh, individuals who are isolated don't develop. And, and yet, yet if you get too connected, you get swallowed up by the group. So I'm glad you have the goal of self-improvement because it's a force that has to resist being uh, swallowed up by the group. But you still need to interact with the group to learn, to be, to influence it, to be influenced by it. So it's a dynamic that, uh, and, and I think, I don't know uh, in how you've been analyzing your list, but the one recommendation I would make is that you have some formulations that show the interrelationship among the eight. What are the right. dynamics across it? Because it is an interactive outcome, not eight separate things that happen to uh, uh, come together. They don't come together unless you do it that way. Mm -hmm. I got it. Thank you for advice. <laughs> And um, let me also ask you, um, we begin talking already about uh, how the pupils, the teachers should be interconnected, this common culture of self-improvement. Today, um, in the conditions of pandemic situation that we're facing in the world, uh, distance learning, what are the advantages and disadvantages of distance learning today and how to use it effectively so we could continue our development both personally mm. professionally staying at home please share with us what do you think about sure it? Uh, we wrote a report for microsoft that came out in may 2020 called education reimagined so you can download that from uh, our website or from microsoft website and uh, what's happened in uh, covid is it's upended everything so uh so this, has, this, the good news and bad news, I, I guess you could say about it, is the bad news, it's upended everything, so it's harder to do it and uh, uh, for students who don't have access to uh, devices or platforms, it's, uh, it's much harder. Uh, but it's also um, loosened up the uh, wrong tightness of the, of the education system we've had, so there's more opportunity. So we've been working on this, and I, we think that, uh, uh, first of all, the... Uh, the disruption is so uh, is so complex and uh, massive because the disease is still here, uh, COVID is still here and it's spreading even more so now. So there, and then the uh, uh, the consequences of being not being able to get together are a difficulty. So there's lots of issues. We've given some guidelines about that, but coming out of this, um, let's assume that 12 months from now we have a better situation. Uh, we thought first when we saw it, it will only be one year, but it looks like it's going to be two or whatever. But we are going to come out of it. So our advice is this, is uh, build up your technology uh, uh, um, access through devices and platforms. Uh, look at how you can take the eight themes that you have in your creative society and uh, pursue those in uh, where technology will help, help do it. Uh, and uh, build in the, the goals you can you could take those eight goals and you could say, what's the role of technology to maximize their presence? And you could figure that out. That would be, you would be able to do more with them with technology than if you didn't have technology. So I think the, the goal is to really reposition technology so it's connected to the agenda we're talking about. Uh, otherwise, if you just leave it happen, it will, uh, some people will gain some things and other, others won't. So I think it's a very... Uh, um, mysterious time 
because the pressures are so much we can't do what we want to do. But I actually like the fact that COVID has uh, unsettled the system because now we can have a chance to talk more about what we're talking about now to say now that we have a, a system that's less organized, can we, can we get into it better and do things we weren't able to do before? And we're seeing that that is the case potentially. Thank you very much. So this is the time for changes and changes for the better. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could go, it could, we say it, uh, uh, this is a, we call it pent up ideas, P-E-N-T. So there, there's kind of frustrations from the old system and now it could get better or worse. So worse could mm -hmm. be uh, more technology that's putting students uh, just working with machines to get uh, knowledge uh, or it could be more participation in the eight values. So I think it's very much whether the agenda, uh, in this sense, technology is neutral. It can be used for good or for bad. So that uh, the, you want to you want to mobilize technology uh, for engagement in the eight values of the creative society. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask also additionally uh, about the technologists and teachers. From your point of view, uh, will the technologists be able one day substitute a teacher or? this is just an instrument that will and can you know become better learn mm -hmm. better learn more get access to more information um please share with us yeah it's uh, i i think it's just an instrument uh that we sometimes uh, overvalue machines and undervalue humans and this is really your theme i think uh, probably your, behind your theme in the creative society is the recognition that uh, technology might be valued more than people and it's the human part that you want to do this. So I think there will always be, uh, uh, you, you certainly can imagine machines replacing a teacher for routine learning like learning literacy or math or, um, or uh, some kinds of uh, uh, development that, that they would could be uh, described in a, in a more narrow way. You can imagine that, but that's not really the education we're talking about. We're talking about producing citizens who are autonomous, but also able, able to work in groups who can create solutions. And, uh, and so they, they won't, uh, it won't be because the machines are doing that work, but because humans are. And the other thing I would say about teachers in terms of technolo technological comfort, of course, the younger people now who've growing up in the last 20 years, they're very technologically uh, steeped in the use of technology. So they will become the future teachers and uh, they won't be, uh, they'll, they'll be good at technology. So again, it's how it's used that will count. And I think the, the, sh the problem about whether machines will replace teachers is a very short term thinking. It's not the main issue. The main issue is what will technology do for the future? And we will have teachers who are quite, quite proficient uh, creative technology and, and their students will be too. So they've got to team up and do these uh, deeper things we're talking about. Thank you. Uh, education of the future, of future education, how do you envision it? Well, this is, we are talking about the future. The future is not in the future anymore in one way. It's what it's today. The, the, uh, I guess the thinking maybe 20 years ago, you could say, okay, we're here today. Uh, what's the future 30 years from now? You could talk that way. But now it doesn't make any sense. The future is like here. 
uh, there's a, there's less and less of a distinction between the present and the future because of the rapidity of getting to the future. And so that's why that's why we don't have the uh, opportunity to say, okay, this is a this is a, a settled down time right now. This is the present. Well, I wonder what the future will. We, we can't wait for the future. We have to actually put it into practice. So I would see I see it that way at least that I see your agenda and our agenda as creating the future today, not tomorrow, but today. What should it be based on? Should it be based on technologies or human and moral and spiritual values? What well, the latter. Human values. Uh, uh, we say that um, uh, that pedagogy is the driver. Learning of uh, human learning is the driver. Technology is the accelerator. So we can use technology to go faster, but we have to have the foundation about what we want to use it for. So that's why the foundation that you're working on is more essential. It's essential. And to get the foundation established, uh, technology should be part of that because it's part of everything. So, but, but if you don't have good values, technology takes over. Thank you very much. That's a fantastic answer. Um, Professor Fulon, we do have a tradition already in uh, our interviews to ask our speakers to recommend two or three more people with whom we can contact on your behalf to continue this conversation about the uh, creative society and education. Can you please recommend these people so we could contact them and continue our next interviews talking about the creative society? Yeah, sure. I could. Uh... Uh, we work with several of these people. One very strong person at the top of the list is Professor and Andy Hargraves, H-A-R-G-R-E-A-V-E-S, uh, who, uh, who is now uh, uh, associated with University of Ottawa. Uh, but he's, he's a high-profile learner working in the same fields that I am. So he's very much uh, plugged into this, a good critical analyst and a good developer. Uh, the second person I would uh, recommend is uh, a young, uh, well, he's age 42 or so, uh, Santiago Rincon Guiardo. I'll have to send you his name uh, and uh, contact. But he's from originally from Mexico. He did his doctorate in Harvard and then came to work with me the last five years. And he's doing a lot of very strong work in uh, Latin America, in Chile, in Mexico, in Colombia, in Peru in Argentina and Uruguay. So I, I would think of the, uh, this is the other way to think of the world, is what are the major uh, continents? And Santiago is a great uh, representative of the new things that should happen in the, uh, what's called the global south, but it's certainly Latin America. And then you have to then think about Africa, Asia, and, and other big domains, Middle East. So uh, there's a lot to do, but those two, uh, Andy Hargraves, and Santiago are very strong, very active, very immersed in these issues and, and smart. Thank you very much. We will definitely contact them. Thank you. Okay. Uh, dear friends, uh, just want to remind that today we had a fantastic, I honestly will say that I truly enjoyed this conversation. We, uh, we have communicated today with Professor Michael Fulham from Canada. Uh, Professor Fulham, thank you very much for this interview and I very much hope that we will have more interviews because I feel that um, right now I have much more questions to ask you because, you know, when people are communicating they are asking 
questions back and forth, but in the end we realized that there are some more questions that we want to talk. And I hope that we will continue this conversation. Thank you very yeah, much. I hope so. I wish you luck because you have great, great values, great foundation, and a great mandate. So uh, I, I'm very much, I think we will connect as you implement it more. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, dear viewers, if you'd like to know more about the project Creative Society, uh, we're inviting you to visit our website, which is called alatraunites.com. Uh, right now you will see it on your screens. Here it is. In the upper right corner, there is a button uh, called Join Us. You can click on it, uh, fill out a short form in one of the languages you feel comfortable. Uh, and send us email and we will contact you for further conversation. Thank you very much for joining us today and watching us today and we'll see you soon in the next interviews. Thank you. Thank you.